You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Hi everyone, Molly here. When we were throwing around ideas this season of Torched, our producers got really excited to report some amazing off-the-beaten-path stories, and we've got one of those episodes for you here today. It's about a sport I'd honestly never heard of. It's called candlepin bowling. And what sold me on making a Torched episode about candlepin wasn't just the allure of learning about this kind of odd niche sport. But the fascinating backstory of one of Candlepin's biggest heroes, Stacia Zernicki. She was a mom and a homemaker who also happened to be one of the greatest Candlepin bowlers of all time. Her determination to be the best at this little-known sport catapulted her to celebrity status in the Boston area. Nikki Stein, one of our great Torched producers, stumbled across Stacia's story. She'd never heard of her even though she grew up about an hour from Boston. And once she started looking into the history of Stacia's game, she found out that candlepin alleys are starting to disappear across New England. And she connected with an incredible community of people whose passion for the game might be what ends up keeping the sport alive. This story is one that's close to Nikki's New England roots and her heart. So I'll let her take it from here. Red Sox and the Twins prepare to go to it in this very big ball game. It's Saturday, September 30th, 1967. The Red Sox are playing the Minnesota Twins at Fenway Park. It's a home game for the Red Sox. And on this crackling 1960s broadcast from WHDH-TV in Boston, you can see the crowd in the stands waving and cheering. This game is make or break for the Sox. How they do in this series against the Twins determines if they get to the playoffs and then the World Series. The game is close. Here they go. And it's in the hole to left. This will tie the ball game up. In their homes, nearly 500,000 local sports fans are on the edge of their seats. From Woburn to Quincy, they've got their eyeballs peeled on the flickering Technicolor curve of their television sets. But these fans aren't watching the Red Sox game. Hi, everybody. Welcome once again to Candlepin Bowling. I'm Don Gillis, and just about everybody... They're watching Stacia Zernike on the Channel 5 Candlepin Bowling Show. It's always three strings with Candlepin Bowling. Total pinfall determining our winner. He's rewarded with... This is a clip from the Channel 5 show. 
Every Saturday afternoon from 1958 to 1996, nearly half a million people in the Boston area tuned in religiously to watch locals just like them, moms and dads who shopped for groceries at the AMP and pumped gas at the Sunoco station, go head-to-head in fierce, nail-biting bowling matches. And then there was Stacia Zernicki. Some called her the First Lady of Candlepin. Others would deem her the Tiger Woods of bowling. Never heard of her? Not surprising. But if you lived in the Boston area back then, you almost certainly would have. This television show that was on Channel 5 for 38 years had up to a half million people watch it every week. It was often the highest rated sports program on Boston TV over the weekend. That's Mike Morin. He's a former TV and radio broadcaster and a candlepin bowling enthusiast. He wrote a book called Lunch with Tommy and Stacia about Stacia Zernike and another legend of the sport, Tommy Olsta. They became as familiar as other legends in, in Boston, like Larry Bird, Bobby Orr, because they were there every week. Stacia became an unlikely celebrity, one of the best competitors in a niche sport that once drew more local viewers than a Red Sox game. And that's saying a lot in sports-loving New England. A survey once found Red Sox fans to be, quote, the most obsessed fans of any baseball team. And for nearly half a century, the same passion was there for Candlepin. New Englanders take great pride in something that is theirs. This was invented here, and doggone it, whether we like it or not, <laughs> we're going we're gonna to do this. We have something very special that we can call ours. But in the last decade, Candlepin bowling alleys have started to close their doors. And this fierce regional pride in the game of Candlepin that inspired such loyalty to Stacia may be the very thing that's threatening the future of the game. This is Torched, a show about the heat of competition and the cost of greatness both on and off the Olympic stage. Throughout this series, we've focused on elite and extreme feats of athletic competition on a grand scale, from the Olympics to the Tour de France. But there's also something to be said for the standout competitors in local sports scenes. In this episode, we're celebrating the people who work at their sport, not for glory, but as a matter of passion and practice. Because there are so many remarkable athletes who don't get the huge payday or the gold medal, but mean a lot to a sports culture, to their community. And maybe, sometimes, that's the biggest prize of all. Stacia Zernike was born and raised in Webster, Massachusetts, a working-class New England mill town, about an hour west of Boston and just south of Worcester. Think green lawns and charming brick storefronts. Her parents immigrated from Poland as teens, and Stacia was one of three kids. It was, you know, a good old-fashioned Polish family. That's Ed Zernike, the middle kid of Stacia's own three sons. He remembers that his mom and her siblings often made their own fun growing up and found interesting ways to one-up each other in unique athletic feats. Her brother, Ben, would climb a tree and uh, shake a squirrel's nest. Stacia would lay in wait at the bottom of the tree with a slingshot. 
And as the squirrel scrambled out of its nest and skittered across the tree, she would aim. She would shoot the squirrel with a slingshot. I don't know if she'd kill the squirrel or whatever, but she would get the squirrel with the, with the slingshot. <laughs> that game, even if it was a bit brutal, required excellent hand-eye coordination and steely focus, which Stacia had in spades. At 14, Stacia left school to help support her family. She worked at the A.J. Bates Shoe Factory on the edge of town and excelled at the detail-oriented work of fastening laces and stitching soles. She became a, I would say, a, like a, a, a fancy stitcher for the shoes. She was very, very good at what she did. But at the end of the day, even hard-working New Englanders like Stacia wanted to clock out and go blow off some steam. And for that, there was one thing Webster had a lot of, bowling alleys. There was one in a theater, and then there was another one that was connected with a pool hall. And back then, the smoking was available, so the places were just chock full of smoke. There was even a bowling alley in the basement of the local Catholic school. That's where Stacia got her start. When she was 16, the alley manager named Wally, uh, it's a Polish name, Szczypian, uh, got her to throw her first ball. And after that, she started to, to bowl. And she never stopped. Stacia found her niche, her determination to keep working at something until she was the best, whether that be shooting a moving squirrel with a slingshot or stitching the finest pair of shoes. That's what set her apart from other bowlers. She was extremely accurate. That's Mike Morin again. She nailed stuff. And she was also, she was very confident. I think she never gave up on herself. And she just had all the skill sets, mentally and physically. But it was the accuracy, and her style was picture perfect. At this point, you're probably imagining 16-year-old Stacia Zernike standing at the top of a wooden lane, three fingers poised in a big, heavy bowling ball, staring at a set of ten squat bowling pins. But if that's the case, you've actually got it wrong. You're imagining Stacia bowling 10-pin. That's the version of the game that comes to most people's minds when they hear the word bowling. You know, guys in big, billowy, button-up shirts with 16-pound bowling balls in their hands. The pins have an hourglass curve and a small, well, pinhead. What Stacia is playing... Standing at the top of the lane, hair quaffed in an updo, simple skirt fanning down to her ankles, is Candlepin, a version of bowling that's uniquely New England. Candlepin bowling uh, began in 1880. It was uh, invented in Worcester by uh, one guy named Justin White. That's Worcester, Massachusetts, just 20 minutes north of Stacia's hometown of Webster. White owned a pool and bowling parlor in Worcester. He started experimenting with a version of bowling that used smaller balls and skinny pins. So you are throwing a ball that's about the size of a softball, but it's smooth, and it weighs up to two pounds, seven ounces. So shrink that ball in Stacia's hands down, take away the finger holes, and stretch those squat bowling pins up so they look like tapered candlesticks. Now you've got candle pin. 
White cooked up this new version of bowling to attract more customers to his billiards and bowling parlor. He thought this new game would be more challenging and even more exciting than standard 10-pin. Smaller balls and slimmer pins meant less surface area to roll a strike. You could almost throw the ball and not hit anything. That's how challenging it is. To make up for the added difficulty, White threw a new element into the game. If a pin fell down and stayed in the lane, you could use it to knock down more pins. In 10-pin bowling, the, the machine sweeps whatever pins are felled on the first ball. In candle pins, the machine never sweeps them away. So you can use trick shots, the pins that are just lying on the deck. That aspect of Candlepin made the game all about accuracy. Visualizing what shot you're going to make and executing it. Kind of like hitting the eight ball in the corner pocket. That's part of why Stacia really excelled at it. It played to her strengths. I think you have to be disciplined because you have a smaller margin of error. And if you can anticipate hitting a pin that's lying at an angle in front of the configuration, that's, that's pretty important. To a New Englander, 10-pin bowling is all about flash. Knocking down wide pins with a big ball is easy. Candlepin is more nuanced, more difficult, and for many, more exciting. It is the most unpredictable, challenging, and exciting game there is. It's a frustrating game, and you have to accept that. It's challenging, and there will never be a perfect game. That's right. No one has ever rolled a perfect game of Candlepin. That'd be a score of 300, or 12 strikes in a row. The highest game in the history is 245, where there are probably hundreds of perfect games thrown in 10-pin across the country every day. That's probably one of the reasons why Candlepin never caught on outside of towns like Worcester and Webster. Turns out some people like rolling lots of strikes. When I started working on this story and I asked our Torch team, ever heard of Candlepin Bowling? I got crickets. But I'm from Cape Cod, Massachusetts, so I grew up playing candlepin. In New England, when you say, let's go bowling, what you think of are grapefruit-sized bowling balls, skinny pins, and a spot in the record books that you might actually be able to get your hands on. That there's always a possibility with candlepin. That's Scott Moore. He's a pinball and bowling machine mechanic who grew up in the Boston area and a former professional candlepin bowler. There's always a possibility to make your shot and no one has ever bowled 300. So any day I step up on the lane and put a ball in my hand, I can break a record and I can be Neil Armstrong standing on top of the moon by myself. That hope and sense of possibility is what gets people hooked on the game. When you bowl Candlepin, you have the potential to do something special that no one else has done before, to make your mark. And making your mark is all the more special if there are half a million of your own neighbors watching you do it. Maybe you've never been in a bowling establishment before. Or perhaps you have, and it wasn't this kind of place. After World War II, the American economy was strong. 
for the working and middle-class folks who had enough money to spend and more free time than ever before, bowling became an obsession. Everyone can enjoy the rich satisfactions that bowling offers. It's a friendly, family sport that anybody can fit into. This is a short film made in 1955 by the Bowling Proprietors Association of America. It's basically a bowling propaganda film. And it shows that in the 50s, the bowling industry was booming. They had money to burn and a new medium to showcase their sport to the masses. Television. In New England, Candlepin was, as we just heard, the only kind of bowling worth watching or playing. And a Boston-area TV station, WHDH-TV, decided to capitalize on the game's popularity by starting a bowling show of their own. And that's how the Channel 5 Candlepin Bowling Show was born. The setup for the show wasn't anything fancy, a theme song and a host introduction. But that's part of what appealed to people about it. It was unpretentious. You can't get much more straightforward than a show about candlepin bowling called The Candlepin Bowling Show. October 4th, 1958 was the first show. It was a hit from the very beginning. It was a show that on weekends would get higher ratings than often the Red Sox, the Bruins, the Patriots. And in NBA, NFL, MLB-obsessed New England, where if you're not rooting for the home team at the bar, things might get physical, that's pretty incredible. Part of the reason so many people watched Candlepin on TV was because bowling, and by extension the show, were part of the fabric of local people's lives. Scott Moore remembers every Saturday growing up was basically the same. It was, you get up in the morning, you go bowling, and then you come bowl, you come home, we'd get home about, I don't know, 11, 11.30, and then we'd turn on bowling and have lunch. Scott's family was so into the show that his mom even brought him to a couple of tapings. They would put spotlights on the pins, and they would put spotlights all throughout the area that they were using for bowling. And when you walked in, it looked like they had taken a can opener and pried open the, the roof of the place so that there was, the sun was like streaming in and it was bright and it was hot. The show aired every Saturday afternoon and broadcast all around the Boston area. At the top, the host, Don Gillis, would tell the audience in a classic sports announcer's voice which two bowlers would be going head-to-head to knock down the most pins and win a cash prize. They would bowl three strings, three games, and whoever had the highest three-pin total would then go on next week to take on a new challenger. And that person would stay on until he or she was eventually beaten. Like Jeopardy, but with ultra-focused bowlers. You would root for your favorite to keep winning week over week until they were dethroned. Mike says even the competition to qualify to get on the show was fierce. There might be hundreds of professional bowlers or people who thought they were good enough to get on. They might be up against 40 or 50 people. It was almost like a funnel, and you're trying to like pour syrup down a funnel. Only the cream of the candlepin crop got to be on the Channel 5 show, which brings us back to Stacia Zernicki. My mother was the first woman to be on the show. That's Stacia's son, Ed, again. 
Stacia, who we last left bowling in the basement of a Webster Catholic school, was now bowling Candlepin on TV. By that time, Stacia had grown up and gotten married to a fellow bowler, Tony Zernike, and started a family of her own right in Webster. They had purchased a, a kind of a big lot. We had the house built and uh, my father was very, very, um, with the green thumb, he had uh, cherry trees and blueberry trees and a big garden. But of course, Stacia never stopped bowling. In fact, Candlepin became a family affair. Saturday mornings, when we were children, there were uh, bowling leagues for the kids at different age groups. My mother, she would usually join the men's league, and there was actually one one day when she walked in and started, and she threw five strikes in a row. Yeah, she'd beat most of the men. Stacia had honed her skills over the years, enough to whoop the men in her local bowling league. She was incredibly good at candlepin. And despite the norms of the time, mom stays at home with the kids while dad goes out and works, her whole family supported her while she dominated match after match. The Zernike family had a whole scrapbook dedicated to Stacia's tournament and championship candlepin wins that were written up in local and national papers, even Sports Illustrated. Tony would clip out all these articles and there were hundreds of pages, thousands of articles about Stacia over probably a 20-year span of these scrapbooks. She was the Candlepin Women's World Champion six consecutive times and Women's State Champion 12 times. In her first 47 appearances on the Channel 5 show, she had 41 wins. Stacia had many winning streaks on the show, coming back week after week to face the next challenger, which meant that her face was broadcast on hundreds of thousands of TV screens for weeks at a time, at one point for 18 weeks straight. Stacia was so well-known that people always recognized her and sometimes would even roll their eyes when she walked into their local bowling alley. When we would walk in as a family, the, the people would see her walking in and they'd go, oh, no, Stacia's here, you know, type of thing. Because <laughs> they knew what the outcome was going to be. Mike says when folks saw her out and about doing something normal, like buying coffee or groceries, they'd do a double take. There's a disconnect between what they see on television and then the real world. And all these bowlers had real jobs or careers. You're going to pump gas, or you're going to church or wherever, and suddenly this person is in your presence. Scott remembers the Channel 5 bowlers like Stacia, the best of the best, as celebrities. But they were also just regular people. They were just normal people who might walk into your local Dunkin' Donuts or whatever and show up on the show, you know. And when you saw them on the lanes like in a bowling alley, they kind of felt like superheroes. And in the bowling alley, by all accounts, Stacia was down to earth. Despite her superhero status, she was especially kind to other women bowlers. She was extremely supportive of the newer, younger bowlers who would be very intimidated. More than one woman has, has went out of her way to tell me that the first time they bowled with her, they were extremely nervous and she, she put them at ease. As a human being, she was extremely classy. Stacia was a stay-at-home mom by day, a candle pin legend by Saturday morning light. There was something accessible, almost hopeful about that. It mapped right onto the scrappy underdog spirit of candle pin bowling itself. 
there's somebody out there that it's like they've got this really special talent and it's not like something that somebody you know says oh you know like you're going to be the star of this tv show i mean this was something that the only reason that this even happened is because they had their own talent their own skill they honed it they worked on it Stacia bowled on the Channel 5 show for three decades. But as the years went on, it got more difficult to bend her knees and torque her shoulders. When the inevitable wear and tear of age began to take its toll on her game, Stacia decided it was time to hang up her bowling shoes. She rolled her last game on the show in 1986 at the age of 64. And sitting next to her is a lady who, well, let's say Strawberries is probably the biggest music store in the greater Boston area. This lady has more records than Strawberries. I mean, she just... <laughs> in this clip from the broadcast of Stacia's final appearance on Channel 5, she's wearing a red-collared bowling shirt with her white hair perfectly quaffed. She stands on the lane next to her opponent, Beth Peterson. Champion. You know that we're expecting all kinds of good things from both of you. I know you are. I don't know if I can do it. <laughs> Stacia swings her arm back and lets the ball fly down the lane. And she rolls a strike on her first frame. As those fans in the bowling alley watched Stacia roll her final game on Channel 5, the tide of Candlepin was turning. The people who had watched Stacia's star rise were also getting older and aging into a less desirable demographic when it came to corporate TV ratings. But with the din of the crowd and the crash of the pins, Candlepin was alive and vital in the room that day. No one thought that the show that made Stacia a local star might itself soon fade out to TV static. Dogs are an important part of our lives. That means protecting them from parasites. Ask your vet about NexGuard Plus, a Foxiloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. NexGuard Plus chews provide one-and-done monthly protection against fleas, ticks, heartworm disease, roundworms, and hookworms. Plus, they're delicious and easy to give. Use with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurologic disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting a preventive. Ask about NextGuard Plus Chews. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Stacia didn't end up winning her last game on the Channel 5 show, 
But in 1987, she did get inducted into the Candlepin Bowling Hall of Fame. When she got up on stage, Ed remembers that she received a standing ovation. She was very, very, uh, I don't know what the word to say. Uh, You know, she couldn't believe it was happening. After Stacia retired from the show, there was still a Zernike on the lanes, Ed. Once he'd gotten old enough to try out, he'd won a spot on the Channel 5 show himself. Ed had been competing throughout the 70s and 80s alongside his mom. Watching my mother bowl, um, I always wanted to do as well as she did. Um, I was never as calm as, I should say, never as calm as she was always calm. I would let things bother me a lot, and uh, (laughs) I would get told about it after we'd get home. But now that Stacia had stepped away from the spotlight, she was cheering him on from those plastic orange seats at the edge of the lanes. Then, in January of 1993, Ed returned home from a weekend trip. There was a message on his answering machine. We drove home on that Sunday. And back then, there were no, you know, no cell phones, no anything. And then when I, when I got home, they had told me that, um, you know, she had passed. After her retirement from bowling, Stacia had been diagnosed with a rare blood disorder. She was admitted to the hospital over that weekend and suddenly passed away at the age of 70. But the next day was um, a taping day for the Channel 5. Yep. Ed was booked to bowl on the Channel 5 show the day after he got the news of Stacia's passing. And when he showed up on set that morning, everyone was surprised. They took me in the room and they said, you know, we don't have... Oh, no. I said, my mom would have wanted me to do this. Ed was determined to bowl for Stacia. This, this is, um, this is going to happen. I'm going to do it. Ed didn't win that day, but he did have a great run on his first game. I ended up hitting a... I think the first string was like a 150-something, the first string, and everybody was going crazy. He played the game that knit the Zernike family together for decades, making time to bowl between the daily demands of work and family, just like his mom. He carried on the spirit of determination Stacia was known for. Then, in July of 1996, just three years after Stacia passed, the Channel 5 show abruptly went off the air. No one really knows why the show was canceled, but Mike Morin has some theories. Boy, there's so many conspiracy theorists and and ideas and reasons floating around. I guess the people at Channel 5 decided it was not worth the effort, even though the ratings were there. The ratings were huge, but the ratings were an older demographic. Loyal fans of the show, people who had been sitting down to watch every Saturday afternoon for almost 40 years, were shocked. And so was longtime host Don Gillis. They brought him into the studio and he recorded a little 30 second um, explanation of why the show would no longer be seen and thanking everybody. It's been a long, beautiful ride, 37 and a half years. And you're well aware of the fact, I guess, that this is going to be the very last show which you're about to see. And thanks. We really appreciated your watching us all these years. As you can hear in the clip, it was an unceremonious goodbye. And in true New England sports fan fashion, disgruntled viewers let their feelings be known. 
What they didn't anticipate was the huge uproar and the calls as soon as it became apparent, people very, very upset. And even to this day, I hear about it. Because this wasn't just about a TV show going off the air. The people who Don Gillis thanks in that goodbye clip, who watched and participated in the show year after year, they were the backbone of the Candlepin community. And when the bowling show was canceled, the loss reverberated through Candlepin alleys all around New England. If you're wondering what effect the loss of television has had on Candlepin bowling, you need only to look at the current pro tour. This clip is from an NESN TV special about the end of the Channel 5 show. It aired shortly after the show was canceled, in the late 90s. Hearing these bowlers tell it, when the show went off the air, interest in Candlepin waned too. When I first joined the Pro Tour back in 1982, there were, there were I don't know, 100 women. It was mobbed. Now, we're lucky to have 100 total. There were fewer bowlers because that Saturday ritual, sitting down to watch the Candlepin bowling show in the afternoon with lunch, was gone. Remember, if you're watching at noon on Saturday... One o'clock, the show's over. You're grabbing your bowling balls. You're going to your local bowling center. The show gave people a reason to go to the alley and pay for a lane. Without that motivator, the popularity of the sport suffered. Scott Moore agrees. You know, supply and demand drives everything. And when the demand isn't there, the supply goes down and then we lose bowling centers, you know. On top of that, the people who bowled weren't as flush with cash as they'd been during the 1950s bowling boom. Scott Moore thinks that family budget cuts stalled the sport, too. Bowling and bowling centers are driven by economics. I know that when I stopped bowling, I had gotten into a position where, you know, hey, I got a, I got a choice of making the mortgage payment or bowling. You've got to make budget cuts. And eventually the budget cut hits your bowling budget. As bowlers chose to cut out Candlepin, their local alleys had a hard time sustaining themselves. And from the end of the 2010s into today, it's clearly been a tough time for those businesses. A lot of bowling centers are closing. Um, the economy and COVID was definitely um, uh, one of the reasons that kind of sped that process up. Those candlepin alleys weren't owned by big bowling corporations like Brunswick or AMF. They were mom and pop operations. So if their kids decided that operating a candle penale wasn't for them or they moved away from their hometown. If the bowling center didn't have uh, somebody to take it over, well, guess what? The real estate near the interstate is worth so much money. We'll sell the building. Somebody can knock it down and put up a car dealership. Or a rug store. The fairway lanes in Natick, Massachusetts, where the Channel 5 show taped for so many years, it's now a discount rug emporium. That's just one of the reasons why the game, there are fewer places for people to bowl. Another reason is, paradoxically, part of what makes Candlepin special. It's still a regional game. The only place you're going to find a Candlepin alley is in New England and some parts of Eastern Canada. Scott thinks that's part of what's holding Candlepin back. Anything that stays regional eventually dies. And that if it gets out into the rest of the country, it has a better chance of surviving. Plus, if you move away from New England, how are you supposed to keep up your candlepin game or teach your kids how to play? My grandparents lived and died in the same house, um, in the same neighborhood. Um, we're not doing that anymore. 
So when your job moves you someplace else or you get a better job opportunity outside of New England, you need to do what's best for your family. In the 60s, there were dozens of candle penales in just central Massachusetts alone. As of 2021, there were only 18 candlepin bowling centers still operating in all of Massachusetts. But there are some people in the candlepin community who are trying a different approach to reviving the game. It's reminiscent of the Channel 5 show, but with a 2022 twist. Welcome to Candlepin Bowling, brought to you by Candlepins for Cancer. Today is going to be a fantastic match. This is a clip from Candlepins for Cancer one of a handful of DIY candlepin shows that have popped up on YouTube over the past few years. This show raises money for cancer treatments rather than bowlers taking home a cash prize. You started to see these broadcasts, you know, somebody would put a webcam. Of course, the technology is there now to do it, you know, like the the Facebook Live and stuff like that. When the show starts, the theme song plays. A screeching guitar rock sound. Then a title card pops up with purple lettering, and a 70s-style mock wood background with the name of the show. Then we see a crop shot of two guys with microphones standing at the top of a candle pin lane. On the show, uh, Richie, who do we have today? Uh, we have Amanda Carroll. It's a stripped-down, one-camera show, but it's still a candle pin show for anyone with an internet connection to see. You don't have all the cool camera angles. You can't get that slow-mo replay. You know, and it's like, okay, well, this is kind of low budget, but it works. Scott's holding out hope that taking Candlepins straight to online viewers might inspire a whole new generation of players. You can get people on anywhere in the world. And I think that if people can see and understand this game, I think that they can start to bowl it and demand it in their region of the world. And I don't want to see Candlepin Bowling die because I think if Candlepin Bowling does die, I think we lose something big. Scott, Mike, Ed, and those scrappy YouTubers, they're keeping the game alive, writing books about it, talking about it, putting simple videos up on the internet for all the world to see. Their grit and tenacity is what the game is built on. Taking that ball, visualizing your shot, and rolling it down the alley again and again and again. That grit persevering for the love of the game, even when no one outside your little corner of New England will recognize you for it. That's Stacia's legacy. She wasn't flashy, but she was real. Mike thinks that relatability is what made a local sports star like Stacia so special. They have a job, just like you do, but they happen to have this skill and this ability that sets them above everybody else, and you admire that, you aspire to that, And you like the fact that they belong to you because they're in this area and nobody else around the country knows about them. Stacia belonged to her community. Her success was their success and they were proud of her. Ed recalls how that was made clear just after her passing. After she had passed, the local politicians decided that they were gonna rename Um, the Thompson Road, which is where the bowling alley was. They were going to name it Stacia Zernike Memorial Way. They put a plaque up at the corner, closed off the road and set up chairs, and had a dedication ceremony. 
Other pro bowlers came, her friends, family, the town people, and it was a it was the, the craziest part was, and I'm gonna try and get through it was it was a cloudy, cloudy day, and when my father got up to speak, and and this is a true story, I, my father got up to speak, the sun came out, and all the time he was speaking, the sun was out. And then when it was his time to sit down, the sun went in and was not out the whole rest of the day. Ed elbowed his brother sitting next to him. I looked up at the sky and I went, wow, <laughs> you know, that's, I know who did that. <laughs> then Ed took a look at the new street sign they dedicated in Stacia's memory. The only thing is when they when they made the sign, they had a 10-pin as the pin instead of a candle pin. <laughs> they, they quickly made them change that. <laughs> if you ever happen to be in Webster, Massachusetts, you can drive down Stacia Zernike Memorial Way. Take a look at that candle pin on the street sign, and you'll be sharing a memory with the rest of the town, with all of New England. A moment in the spotlight with a neighbor who just happened to be an all-star. The passion she brought to this New England sport and her determination to dazzle the candlepin world without ever changing herself for the game. Torched is a production of Film Nation Entertainment in association with Gilded Audio. It's executive produced by me, Molly Bloom, Alyssa Martino, Milan Papelka, Andy Chug, and Whitney Donaldson. This episode was produced by Nikki Stein and Kelsey Albright. Tori Smith is our associate producer, and Olivia Canny is our production assistant. Story editing from James Boo, original music by James Lavino. This episode was written by Nikki Stein. Special thanks to Allison Cohen and Matt Eisenstad. And a very special thank you to the Candlepin community for sharing your stories with us for this episode. Mike Morin, Scott Moore, Ed Zernicke, Susan Bregman, and Dave Barber. Next time I'm home, I'm going to roll a game of Candlepin at the Ryan Family Amusements in Hyannis and think of y'all. Next time on Torched, I spoke to Lindsay Jacob Ellis about how the media has played a large role in shaping narratives about her Olympic snowboarding career. It's been interesting how the media has always been writing what version they think my story has been. They'll put any title to it. Even winning the two medals, you could read some of the headlines and you're like, it still sounds a little negative. That's next time on Torched. Thanks for listening. If you like what you hear, as always, follow, subscribe, and leave us a review. We'll see you next time. Escape to Ocean City, Maryland, and discover a place that just feels lighter, where every day feels like Saturday and French fries are a food group, where flip-flops are always in fashion and seafood is always in season where the boardwalk is bustling and the beach is right outside your door, where you can rise with the tide and feel like a kid again. Ocean City, Maryland, somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at Oceocean.com. Dogs are an important part of our lives, and keeping them protected is a top priority, especially against nasty parasites. 
That's why you got to check out NextGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. NextGuard Plus chews provide one-and-done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease. Plus, it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef-flavored, soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NextGuard Plus Chews. They're the one-and-done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Use with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurologic disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting a preventive.